Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I thought I'd do a solo podcast and talk directly to unmarried um, LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, generally in their teenage years or unmarried 20 years. Um, This would be kind of consistent if someone were reaching out to me and meeting with me one-on-one, the general things I would share with them. Um, You parents, local leaders, and allies are welcome to listen in. Perhaps there'll be a nugget or two that are helpful to you um, as you try to help others. Um, By way of background, for those of you that aren't familiar with me, I am an active Latter-day Saint, married father of six in my early 60s. We have a couple grandchildren. Um, You can read my complete bio if you want to at papaosler.com. I support our leaders, our our doctrine. I'm not advocating for doctrinal changes, but I believe we can do a better job to support LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And my journey really started um, last about eight years ago when I was a YSA bishop and had priesthood responsibility and for the first time really listened to a couple gay Latter-day Saints tell me about being gay. And I realized um, my conclusions about this group of people wasn't based on talking to this group of people. And I felt a bit of rebuke of the spirit and did what I call a hard drive reset and have tried to let LGBTQ people teach me and the spirit about this space. And as my assignment was ending, I felt impressed to enter this space. And um, I have a book. I'm not out here to push a book, but it's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. It's at Amazon and Deseret Book. All the proceeds go to a foundation for a gay teenager that died from suicide. And um, all the things I do is a labor of love. I don't speak for the church. I don't speak, be, don't listen to me because I'm a former bishop and think that I've got this all figured out. I'm just speaking as a friend. Um, and so this may be helpful, but don't take everything I share as your path forward. I, hopefully this is a principles-based podcast to help you make decisions on your path forward. So I have about eight or nine bullet points here. Um, I do have a separate segment at the end. I want to talk directly to people that identify as transgender. So, but the principles I share here will be applicable to everybody. Um, the first thing I'd say is go slow. And um, if you're, especially if you're in your teenage years, I I think you may be wondering about how this is all going to work out for you. But I think especially in your teenage years, you can go slow. The forks in the road regarding the paths you're going to take if you're LGBTQ um, are really usually in your 20s. And those forks in the road, we'll talk more about those, are to stay celibate. Um, to enter a mixed orientation marriage where one or both aren't straight, or to be in a same-sex marriage. And those are kind of the forks in the road. But my advice is to go slow and um, prepare yourself to make the very best decision you can when you come to that fork in the road. Um, And as part of that is I would build a strong foundation. And so you're making faith-based, not fear-based decisions. And you can do that now especially in your teenage years and 20 years. Um, And I call a a strong foundation being mental, physical, and spiritual. And just become your very personal best as you you navigate this. And um, I will leave that up to you on how best to do that. 
Some, it's helpful to go to therapy. Some, it's helpful to do different things. I don't suggest therapy to cause you to be straight, but just to give you skills to navigate not being straight. The next thing I'd like to talk a little bit about is, should I come out? And um, that's complicated. And I think you have to make that decision for yourself. But generally, I'd encourage you to come out to you. Um, People have taught me about internalized homophobia and that you have all these feelings of shame generally about who you are because of what society says about people like you. And um, part of coming out is coming out to you and being at peace and not feeling shame for how you're created. And I think you should also come out to your Heavenly Father. I think your Heavenly Parents love you. And um, some people have taught me that it is helpful for them to come out to their Heavenly Parents and ask their Heavenly Parents how you feel, how they feel about you. Um, As I talked in this book that I wrote, I don't think anybody should look in the mirror and feel shame for how they're created. And I don't think our Heavenly Parents look at their straight children and their LGBTQ any differently. And so you've got to feel like your heavenly parents love you, and that can help you love you as you feel their love, even if you may not feel love from society or from our church culture or people around you. So that's the most important thing you can do is those two things as far as the coming out process come out to you, and I believe coming out to your heavenly father and asking them to guide you. Um, Coming out to others is something that's very personal. And um, I don't have a lot of um, advice on that. One of the things that society says is you ought to do this a certain way, but I think you can do it your way. And um, I'm going to pause here for a second, get a piece of paper. This is, um, once again, under the section of should you come out to others. I would make that a matter of prayer. And um, not a matter of what society is telling you to do or what someone else is doing. I would do that based on the personal revelation. That's a core part of our doctrine that our Heavenly Parents, our Heavenly Father in particular, will give you. So if you come out to others, I think it needs to be on your terms. And often that will be a friend, parents, um, a local leader, a trusted adult. Um, You may choose to come out broadly. You may choose not to come out broadly. Every now and then I'll get a call from somebody who's LGBTQ active in the church and they will say, well, I'll never be on your podcast. And I say, why? And they go, because I feel impressed not to come out. And I support them. You can be completely authentic and not out. So it's a very individual journey. Um, being LGBTQ and LDS. Um, I'm going to talk more about authoring your story, but a point here is you can hear a lot of stories, but don't make them your story. Um, Hopefully you can take the principles of those stories and better write or author your own story. I love President um, Russell M. Nelson's um, social media posts on July 20th of 2022. Now read from that. Labels can... Um, Be fun and indicative. You support a number of positive things. But if a label replaces your most identifiers, the results can be spiritually suffocating. I believe if the Lord were to speak directly to you, the first thing we'd want to make sure you understand is your true identity. My dear friends, you are literally spirit children of God. No identifier should replace. 
duplicate or take priority over these three enduring designations. Number one, child of God. Number two, child of the covenant. Number three, disciple of Jesus Christ. And I agree with those. And so some would say, should I take on a label um, after those labels? And that's a very personal thing. Um, I'll read um, um, from Ben Shalotti. He's a gay Latter-day Saint, active in the church, BYU Honor Code officer, and somebody I've learned a lot from. He writes, and you could read this in his book, um, Walking in My Shoes, I wish I could label myself as, as I please. I've been told many times by church leaders not to label myself as, self as gay, and I obeyed that counsel. I didn't want to be gay. I didn't want to be attracted to men. I hated myself for those feelings. The times I didn't identify as gay were the darkest, hardest times in my life. Choosing to identify as gay has been wonderful and freeing. My beliefs and commitment to the restored gospel have not changed since I started labeling myself as gay. I live church standards as much as always. But what has changed is that I don't hate myself anymore. So some will choose to take on a label. Gay, same-sex attraction, lesbian, bisexual, wherever you are. Um, some will choose not to. For Ben, um, it takes the shame away. This part of him that at first was very difficult for him and he wanted to get rid of and he was embarrassed about it or whatever vocabulary, when he sort of owned this about himself, the shame went away. And often shame is one of the greatest things to separate us from um, our Heavenly Father and feeling that we deserve the love of our Heavenly Father. So a principle underneath the label is, what will it do to reduce shame? Um, That would be one thought to consider. And does it help as part of this, as part of the section on coming out, does it help coming out to reduce shame? Um, part of that principle is um, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming something you need to be in order to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. That's from Brene Brown, and that's a powerful principle. So some will choose to come out, not to leave the church. Um, but just simply so people, they can belong. People know this part about them, and they then know that people still love them and accept them, their family, their friends, their ward community, and they're not playing it over and over in their mind. What would people think of me if they knew I weren't straight? And that can be exhausting. And so often um, coming out is about letting you come in and know um, this part about them so you can support them and love them and ask them better questions. Um, open-ended questions are often the most helpful um, in our in this book, Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing Lat- LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Chapter um, 7 is Ministering to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And um, I should mention that if you go to listenlearnandlove.org, you can download every section of my book for free if you just want to do that. Um, but anyway, Chapter 7 is available. It's a terrific chapter, I believe. And um, you could read that and share that with others. So that's a little bit about um, looking at my outline here. It's harder to do a solo podcast listener because you listeners you can't just kind of wait for the other person to stop talking. So that's a little bit about um, should I come out? And, um, 
I'm just looking through my notes. The next thing you probably understand ought to learn about is the Kinsey scale. Um, that's a scale of zero to six. So that's seven digits. Zero, one, two, three, four, five, six is seven digits with zero being 100% heterosexual and six being 100% homosexual. Now, when I talk about that, just think orientation. Don't think behavior. Lots of times when we think homosexual, we go right to behavior. We don't do that with someone who identifies as straight or heterosexual. So let's examine the same courtesy, sort of reprogram our minds not to think about behavior when someone identifies as homosexual or gay or lesbian or bisexual. Um, but if you're in your teenage years you're try- and you know you're not completely straight, um, kind of go slow and try to figure this out. Um, you may... You may be a six. You may be 100% homosexual, to use the Kinsey scale. You may be somewhere in the middle. Three is exactly bi. And it may take a little bit of time to just figure that out. And that doesn't mean that um, if I'm your friend, I'm trying to figure it out for you or a leader or a parent. It's something you need to figure out for yourself. And my general um, feeling is to go slow. And uh, my general feeling is most of the people that have been on the podcast kind of knew they weren't straight um, in their teenage years or even pre-teenage years, but it took them a little time just to figure out exactly where they were. Now, I'm not going to get into all the science or all the studies. I recognize there are studies that sort of talk about sexual fluidity. I believe that's a thing. It's a little bit out of the scope of the podcast. Um, Some of that may apply in some situations, but everybody I've met with, um, no one's been able to do anything, um, somebody that's um, not straight, to become straight. And I'll talk more about that. But the Kinsey scale can help you as you're trying to just figure out this journey. And especially if you're processing this before the forks in the road, you can kind of get a feeling of where you are um, so that you are making decisions based on pretty good understanding of who you are before you. Decide what fork in the road is the best fork for you. Um, The next point I want to make, and this is like number one, two, three, four, I'm going to start to number these five, is I would invite you to participate in the church, even if you don't know your long-term future in the church. You may be a teenager that recognizes you're gay or lesbian and feel it's probably likely you're going to be in a same-sex marriage. And if you feel that way, I'm going to validate how you feel. I'm not going to tell you not to feel that way. Um, and I'm going to be grateful you opened up to me if I'm your friend or local leader or parent about the, the feelings about your long-term path. But if that is your feeling about your long-term path, you may conclude, I don't want to participate in the church anymore. Um, and I would, I would try to build some nuance there that um, as part of this becoming your very best personal spell, self and developing a strong foundation, it may make sense to participate in the church until you actually know that is going to be your path and sort of are on that path and then figure out possibly how you can still at some way participate with the church. Um, The church doesn't have to be an all in or all out type of thing. Um, You may, if you're pre-mission, you may wonder, well, should I serve a mission if I'm not sure about my future post-mission? Should I go to the temple and make those covenants if I'm not completely sure I can keep those covenants long-term? And I'm not going to answer that question for you, but I wouldn't rule it out. 
There are straight people that are teenagers that are probably not sure exactly how their life is going to turn out post-mission. Yeah, they believe in the church and they believe that they can keep those covenants. Um, but I wouldn't just rule it out if because you don't know your future. And I would point out or suggest that as part of becoming your very best personal self, a mission may help you. Um, it may sort of take you out of having to deal with your sexual orientation for a period of time, 18 months or two years. Most of the people I've interviewed post-mission are grateful they served a mission. They actually, since no one was talking about dating and no one was sort of talking about those things, they were just unified in a higher, holier cause of bringing people to Christ through our restored church. It was a really good time for them. Most of them didn't fall in love with their companions. Uh, Most of them did just great. In fact, they weren't particularly thinking about this subject, and it was a welcome sort of relief from having to process their sexual orientation or their gender identity and what that meant for them long term. And they brought people to Christ through our restored church. And that has stayed with them over the years, even if they're not fully participating in the church, the good they did for other people. And the the community they made that are often still their friends. So I wouldn't want to paint a binary that about your mission or about going to the temple. I think if you feel um, you have a testimony in the church and desire to help others and feel you can make those five temple covenants and do your very best, then I would generally encourage you to serve a mission and um, attend the temple. Um, It may just help you know how to best make your future forward. Some would say you're worse off if you leave the church after serving a mission and and um, worse off in the eyes of our Heavenly Father or Judge the Savior if you serve a mission and attend the temple and then leave the church. And I don't know. I think you need to figure out just how God would feel about that for you and get personal revelation. Our, our doctrine is so based on personal revelation. And um, I think we need to honor and support people in their individual personal revelation, even if it's different than perhaps our original hopes for them. So, um, as I've talked in the podcast, um, can you be gay on your mission? Gay meaning out. And that's a very personal thing. You You may be closeted right now, lesbian, bisexual, trans, or gay, and wondering, should I come out to my bishop, my parents, my stake president, the missionary department as far as filling in my papers? And I think that's up to you. Um, as far as I'm aware, there's no requirement to come out. And some do come out. Um, there's a couple missionaries that are out right now, one that's just home and one that's coming home later this fall that are out. They're um, Elder Carpenter, who we may we will have on the podcast, I believe, is serving in California. He's out. And when he came out to his mission president, his mission president said, um, okay, that's great. We're glad you're here. You'll help us create Zion. Will you train the rest of the missionaries on how to be more inclusive to LGBTQ people, both church members and investigators? Will you do sensitivity training? So the mission president looked at this gay missionary as he didn't say don't talk about it, maybe even to protect him. He was worried about him. He said, We're glad you're here. And will you talk about it? And the shame that leaves when someone talks to you about this part of you that's actually a good thing to help us create Zion. Now, not every missionary is going to have that experience if they come out to their mission president. So I think it's back to personal revelation. 
on what is best for you. You may feel impressed to serve a mission and come out to nobody, including your mission president, your companions, and that's fine. You can be authentic and not out to anybody. I would still encourage you to come out to you and your Heavenly Father. And so you can have that support that they know this part about you and they love you and they will walk with you. Um, so that's a little bit about just your future and participating in the church. All the good in my life comes from church membership. My mission significantly helped me. It taught me lifelong principles. I'm 40 years removed from my mission. Grateful for that experience. And most of the people I visit with for the podcast individually are also grateful for that experience. And not only for them, but for the, for the people they served and the life they've changed. And it's deeply gratifying to them over the years. Point number six is a phrase our church is using right now. Author your own story or write your own story. Be the author of your story. Um, I kind of touched upon that, but I believe that really strongly. We've done hundreds of podcasts with LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, and every story is different. And um, I think it's good to listen to other people's experiences that are LGBTQ, but I think at the end of the day, you've got to write your own story. And then you've got voices out in society that says, this is how you should write your own story. To, be, to live your truth or to be authentic, this is how you do it. But I think living your truth is your truth based on the personal revelation you're receiving in your scripture study and, and doing Come Follow Me and the personal revelation that comes into your life as you're doing those things help you author your own story. <clears throat> and I don't suggest that with a, um, a certain outcome in mind. Yes, I invite everybody to stay in the church, but I recognize that some don't. And some that are gay, lesbian, right now are going to be at some point in same-sex marriages. And um, I'll walk with you if that is where you end up. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll always invite you to stay, but my relationship is not transactional. It's not conditional on you staying in the church or being in a certain path. And I will just leave judgment to our Savior and His perfect understanding, and I'll walk with you. And I'll support you, and I won't secretly cheer on the side that your same-sex marriage fails. Now, some would feel that's too affirming, and that's not what they'd be willing to do. And if you feel that way, that's fine. Um, this is a complicated space, and as I share in my presentations, um, if there's things that I say that you're not comfortable with, that's okay. You, you don't need to be comfortable with everything I say. Um, but hopefully the principles um, sort of scale like author your own story so that or the honoring agency, which is part of our doctrine, um, that will be helpful to you as you help others. I had to take a, a little drink. Um, so this kind of comes back to the forks in the road. I want to talk a little bit. I think we've talked about them and you may know them. Um, especially applies if you're LG, lesbian, or gay, um, and um, you're single right now. And um, the forks on the road, obviously, are to be celibate, um, to be in a mixed orientation marriage, or to be in a same-sex marriage. And I would make that decision in a position of strength. Um, don't make that a decision on a position of fear or where you're not your personal best. Um, a comment about celibacy. Celibacy 
um, works best if you really feel called to be celibate. And it doesn't work as well if you just feel you're celibate by default and you're sort of forced into this path. So that comes back to personal revelation. I've had some guests on the podcast that really feel called to be celibate. Ben Shalati, um, the BYU Honor Code officer who's gay, teaches there. He feels very called to be celibate, that this is his path. And I think that gives purpose and meaning. And it's different than just sort of forced in this path with no power, powerless to change it. Um, that's physiological isolation that can be pretty overwhelming when you're in a situation where you're powerless to change it. And that's how some younger people feel with this, you know, sort of forced multiple decades of being celibate. And that can be overwhelming and leads to thoughts of suicide. So the other path is being in a mixed orientation marriage. And um, I talk about that in the book. If you want to read that chapter, it's Potential Paths for LGBTQ, for LG, Latter-day Saints, Chapter 9. And one of those paths is a mixed orientation marriage. And as I write in the book, I thought all those failed because all I was aware of were high-profile mixed orientation marriages that failed. And in one of the biggest rebukes of the spirit I've had in this space, um, I've done podcasts with people in mixed orientation marriages, and they're beautiful, authentic love stories. And they're real... um, and we shouldn't sit on the side and think they're fake, or we shouldn't say you're not living your truth, or we shouldn't point to somebody else and say your marriage isn't valid. We should support people. As I write in the book, um, if you're single, I would definitely encourage you to talk to your dating partner about you not being straight. And then he or she needs to receive personal revelation about that information. Um, But I've seen a lot of stories where, and you could listen to Preston Jenkins' podcast. It's a recent one. You could scroll back. Um, He talked about he knew he was gay young, and he knew he wanted to marry a woman, and he did get married to a woman. And it's a beautiful love story. And he talked about just talking to his early in the dating process that I'm gay. and, And sometimes vulnerability brings vulnerability, and you get this foundation of honesty, trust, and communication. That is the foundation for a long-term healthy marriage. Now, the church is neutral on this. It, it, it used to kind of encourage people that were gay to be in marriages. It might even make them ungay. That's not a word, but you know what I mean. Church doesn't encourage people to do this. Um, but if you self-determine that this is your best path, you deserve our support. And so I would open the door that you could consider a mixed orientation marriage, but don't do it based on me opening the door. It's better to do it based on you feel self-determined that's your best path forward and you receive personal revelation that that's your best path forward. And then I encourage you to open up to your dating partner about this and allow him or her to receive revelation if this is right for them as they go into this marriage together. Um. Let's see, a same-sex marriage is obviously another path. And I've had a lot of people in same-sex marriages that are, you know, return missionaries. And that's just the reality of this space. I don't invite anybody into a same-sex marriage, but if they self-determine, is the word I use, that that is their best path forward, um, I will walk with them. I would attend their wedding. Um, I would support them. I would um, just... Um, 
I would want their relationship to succeed. Um, pragmatically, I realize there's a lot of ways to live life sort of off the covenant path, and a monogamous, long-term committed relationship is better in my mind than the club scene with multiple partners and sort of a life of, you know, the club scene, which can come with drugs and alcohol and sort of ways to numb yourself. And that's a path off the covenant path too, but it's, but being in a monogamous same-sex long-term relationship, my feeling is that is a better path than other paths off the covenant path, so to speak. So that's just complicated. Um, but I'll walk with you and I'll support you and and we've had people on the podcast in same-sex marriages, and they're often very respectful of the church and very respectful of their family members that are in the church. And I think of Elder Cook about unity and diversity. And some families that have members in same-sex marriages, there's a lot of divisiveness, and maybe that's not possible if you don't have both people trying to re- reduce that. But some families have great unity, even in differences, and the parents um, Becky McIntosh uses this line. She's got a son in a same-sex marriage. We're just going to leave this at the Savior feet, and anybody and everybody's going to be welcome in our home. And I'm going to preserve the relationship. And I'm going to. And as I have adult children, I recognize that I have to honor their agency and what I can control is the relationship. Usually, if everybody wants to have a relationship, and an eternity's a long time, and I'm not going to sort of had sad heaven right now, which is I'm worried about my eternal family and empty seats at the table in the next life, but I'm going to um, recognize these are our heavenly parents' children first. They love them, and my job is to love them and support them and preserve the relationship. And often cutting them off or ultimatums is harder for that. It leads to more anger and bitterness. But I recognize some parents out there doing a really good job and they still have kids that are angry and bitter, so it's not a perfect formula. But that's a little bit about the forks in the road. Now, another fork in the road is, and I've met with many people that feel this way and have had people on the podcast that have lost somebody to suicide. Suicide is reality for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Um, <clears throat> there's so much shame, at least initially, with not being straight. There's a great um, not sure how this works out. <clears throat> um, so, um, there's a great resource on your phone or your text to text 988 if you're suicidal. If you're suicidal, please get help. I think if your older self could talk to your younger self, he or she or they, if you're non binary, would give you hope that you're going to be okay and your best years are ahead of you and that everybody would be sad if you left. And even if you feel no light at the tunnel, have no hope, please stay, please get help. Um, I mean that so sincerely. Um, we have lost so many people to suicide that are LGBTQ. And um, <clears throat> you have to hang in there. You have to stay close to your heavenly parents. You have to get help. Um, you have to th- just make one step forward. But I really believe that you will be able to be okay and then you'll be able to help others. And that will give you incredible gratitude over the years. But I absolutely believe, and I've seen this many times, if your older self could just talk to you, um, he or she would give you tremendous hope about your future. So um, if you have people you're wondering about are suicidal, ask them. It doesn't cause someone to think about suicide for the first time if you ask them they're suicidal. 
Sister Alberto talked about in a general conference talk. I talk about that in my second book about improving Latter-day Saint culture. Um, don't just say, are you willing to hurt yourself? Because that may communicate to them you're not safe to completely open up to them about their feelings of suicide. <clears throat> Get QPR training. It's a simple training for people like me that don't have any clinical expertise. Um, ask them they have a plan. Tell them, ask them about their plan. Um, it's, I've asked hundreds of people if they're suicidal. Um, it comes really natural at this point, and not one person has been mad at me for asking that question. Now, I don't ask it in public. I don't ask it in a group setting. I ask it in a one-on-one setting where there's a little bit of trust. <clears throat> but people that aren't suicidal are grateful I asked that question. And a lot of people are or have thought about it that are LGBTQ, very high percentage. So that's point number six is author your own story, but do it. Fear-based decisions, I kind of mentioned that, but just so we talk about that, fear-based decisions are sort of you have fear and so you make a decision. And um, a good example doesn't come to my mind right now. Um, Faith-based decisions are when you are making decisions based on faith. And it's a very different way to make a decision. And so make faith-based decisions, not fear-based decisions of being left out or needing to be in a group or whatever. Make faith-based decisions um, that are based on the principles we've shared earlier in the podcast. Um, Point number seven is the atonement of Jesus Christ. I'd like to read, um, well, let me just quote Ben Shalati, who has really helped me to understand this space. Um, I used to believe, listeners, that somehow you could access the atonement if you were not straight to become straight. And I've heard comments about that, and there's even scriptures that say, if you lay it all on the table, you'll be straight, or anything is possible. And so sometimes missionaries get on that plane to go on their mission, and they make a deal with God. I'll serve, I'll even over-serve, and they become hyper-religious and hyper-religiosity and super-obedient and perfectly obedient. and with kind of this deal that when they get on that plane or train, I guess, or boat, however you get to or from your mission or car, I guess, um, that they'll be straight and they're not. And then that can lead to a lot of self-reflecting. Well, maybe I slept in three times or maybe, and so you look inward and it creates this feeling of shame and not measuring up and God, does God really love me? So these deals to be straight, um, don't make those deals. Um, using the atonement to be straight. If if you believe that can work for you, I don't want to take that belief off the table or that hope, but my general feeling is just like I have blue eyes and I have gray hair and I'm right-handed, I can't use the atonement of Jesus Christ to change that. Those are just attributes that are part of me. And for me, those are normalized society attributes. My mom has red hair um, that's pretty normalized. She's 89 and in good health. She still has red hair. And um, my point, uh, people have told me that the percent of people with red hair and the percent of people that are not straight is about the same. But if you're not straight, that's just an attribute that complicates your life, obviously, because it's part of your sexual orientation. And there's shame in our society about not being straight. But that's changing a little bit. More people are supportive and we're saying kinder things. Um, but Ben Shalati at first thought the atonement would make me straight. Then he talks about what the atonement did was to heal my broken heart. And that's a powerful principle. 
And in the scriptures, we know, and I'm going to read from DNC 88. I've got to find my glasses. There they are. Um, he that descended up of on high, also he descended below all things, in that he comp- comprehendeth all things, that he might be in all and through all things the light of truth. So one of the principles I like to share is that the atonement of Jesus Christ applies to you if you're not straight. It's not to make you straight, but it's to heal your heart with a doctrinal understanding that Christ knows this road. And he descended below all things. Not being that being gay is a bad thing like descended, but he just understands all of our roads and the unique things we're going through. Now, there's not sin in identifying as gay, so it's not like the atonement needs to make you clean. As you identify as gay, there's no sin. The church is very clear that identifying as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or trans is not a sin. So I would just work on your personal relationship with our older brother, Jesus Christ, and he can help heal your heart if your heart is broken because you're not straight. And the pain that comes into your life because of the things that are said, sometimes at church and family circles, in society about people that aren't straight. And I've heard a lot of those things from guests over the years, and it's heartbreaking. Um, And I think part of being a Zion people is consistently saying kind things about LGBTQ people and recognizing they're probably LGBTQ people within our voice if we're in a a larger group and they're listening to everything we say. Um, But the atonement applies. It can heal your broken heart. It can help part of your spiritual foundation. And um, the next thing I want to talk, and I'm shifting gears a little bit, is just how I sort of frame up the church's relationships with its LGBTQ or queer members. A lot of you are using that. Queer listeners, if you're my age, I'm 61, is a very negative label. A lot of younger LGBTQ people are just taking that label queer as an umbrella to describe they're not straight. And some of that's their final landing point. They're just queer. There's not a sub label underneath that. So it's back to let everybody choose their own label. But if you hear queer, it's just somebody that's not straight or cisgender. Cisgender is someone whose biological sex matches their gender identity. Trans is different. To talk about that in a second. Um, But some would say, ask, and so what, this is how I frame this space up, is I believe our church's relationship with its LGBTQ members is like a 40-chapter book. And I don't know what chapter we're in. And um, I don't want to imply that future chapters have change in policy or doctrine, but perhaps they could. And so some people say, what chapter we're in? I don't know. Um, Earlier chapters are sometimes the painful things that we've said at church and in society about gay people. And if you're in the know this space, well, there's some pretty painful things. And it's okay to sit with people and honor those painful experiences. You sometimes that that is all that's needed is to hear someone's painful experience. And it doesn't to validate that usually doesn't drive the wedge between them and the church deeper. But some but to me, chapter 40 is when a mom that has two 14-year-old kids, one straight and one gay, and one comes out, she doesn't have any fear anymore for how that kid fits in at church or society, just like she doesn't for a straight kiddo. And um, if you're a teenager that's queer, you don't have any fear about your future in the church or society, just like your straight um, friends, peers don't. 
So some would say, well, how do we get to chapter 40? And I say, I don't know. It's not, I don't have standing there. Um, I'm not a leader of the church and I don't know God's will. So I don't speculate. And, um, and some would say, well, the doctrine's going to change. So go ahead and get into same-sex marriage because eventually the doctrine will catch up to you. Um, I'm not comfortable saying that. I don't think you should make a decision back to the fork in the road based on, um, based on a feeling from you or from allies or others in or out of the church that the doctrine's going to change. Our leaders have been pretty clear the doctrine's set in this space. Um, um, I will, um, but I am open that the doctrine could change. And if someone opens up in a private situation to somebody and says, I feel our doctrine might change in this space, let's don't call them unfaithful. Um, I think it's okay for people and with trusted friends or family members to talk about this space and wonder if they feel the doctrine's going to change, let's don't, you know, make shame them. If they're willing to follow our leaders and follow current doctrine, um, let's don't, if they open up about a feeling that maybe our doctrine will change, it's when we sort of form movements or campaigns or critical of our leaders that I think that's where the line in the sand is. So let's give grace to people. Um, some would say our doctrine in the past has never changed. Um, some would say it has changed when they point to things we used to talk about, like the Adam-God theory or blood atonement or polygamy or blacks. And so I'm not going to get into a debate on that topic, but um, I will read this from Elder Razband. Um, he spoke in um, 2021, looks like August of 2021, to a multi-stake devotional in California. And I will link to this in the show notes in case you want to read his whole talk. This is Elder Rasband, quote, Doctrine is established by God and is found in the scriptures such as the Book of Mormon and in teachings of Latter-day Prophets, Seers, and Revelators. Church policies can change as needed under the watchful care of current prophets and apostles, but the doctrine on which every policy is based is firm. Unless, God re- unless the Lord reveals any new direction, and that revelation will only come through his holy prophet on the earth at the time. So, you know, I don't want to use that quote and sort of open the door that the doctrine's going to change in this space, but it's just a pattern of revelation that it's possible the doctrine could change. But I wouldn't, if you're LGBTQ, make decisions that you based on the doctrine catching up to your decision, if that makes sense. Make decisions based on current doctrine and not on the hope or belief that the doctrine's going to change. You've got to make decisions based on personal revelation and what's best for you, not speculating about possible changes in the church. So I hope that's okay, um, but I do believe we're not at the finish line. I don't think we're at chapter 40, so we believe in ongoing revelation. We have an article of faith, and if I look at what's changed in my lifetime in this space, it's pretty dramatic. We used to teach that being gay was a choice and you could somehow unchoose that. And so all the responsibility was on the queer person to become straight. And I, as a straight Latter-day Saint, had no responsibility here. That's your deal. Um, you chose this. You've got to unchoose it. Um, I'm just going to go on my way. But really, that, that, whole, that changed. And in the book and in the church's website, we're pretty clear um, that 
We don't. The church doesn't know what caused this. We used to speculate what caused this. Now we don't, and we don't. Um, Elder Holland's pretty clear, and that statement's on the church's website and in my book, that a change in sexual orientation shouldn't be expected or demanded by parents or leaders or the queer person. Um, and so the responsibility is on the rest of us as the body of Christ to support LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Next thing I'd like to talk about is, uh, is messing up um, sin. And um, <clears throat> um, straight people mess up and queer people mess up um, if you're teenagers um, in your 20s. And there's less, um, this isn't a segment to mess up. This is a segment that if you do mess up, um, what to do next. And um, if straight people mess up with the law of chastity in any way, that's a sin, but it's, it, it's a, perhaps a little easier to go talk to your bishop, your heavenly father, yourself, even your parents, if you've messed up as a straight person, whatever that is. Um, it may feel more shameful if you've messed up as a gay, lesbian person in the same ways as a straight person, whatever that is. And I'm not going to sort of go into whatever that is. You probably know what that is. Um, my thought is if um, you have to first realize what something I feel very strongly about is nothing can take you outside of the love of our heavenly parents. Um, they may be disappointed in you. They're disappointed in me at times, but nothing you or I can do can take us out of their love. And so if you've messed up um, and you feel a lot of shame for that guilt, um, talk to your Heavenly Father and reach out to your elder brother. Um, they can help you. Um, Satan wants to separate you from God. And step one of that is sin, but it doesn't get to the finish line until he separates you from God because of shame for the mistakes you've made. And you falsely conclude that now you're outside of God's love. And if you falsely conclude that, you're likely to continue to mess up because of the shame you feel. And so I'm not inviting you to mess up, but if you do, use that as a learning experience and say, instead of saying, and say, what now? Um, what did I learn from that? Um, what can I do better? Um, go through the repentance process. Um, if you're a local leader, I think you've got to be really kind if gay people um, talk to you about the messing up they do, just like you are with straight people. I think everybody needs to leave the bishop office feeling better. One young man who's now to the church told me he kissed his boyfriend and told his bishop, and the bishop looked away in disgust, and he said, that's the last time I've been to church. And so we need to prepare ourselves if we're bishops or local leaders or parents, how we respond if someone bravely comes out about messing up and confides in you as a local leader, as a parent or friend, um, and just admire, if, admire them for the courage and the respect you have that they were willing to tell you about their experience, that they messed up. Now, um, if you, so I'm not inviting you to mess up, but if you do mess up, you've got to look at that as a learning experience. Shame says, I am bad versus I did something bad. You've got to look in the mirror and still see yourself as a beloved child of heavenly parents. And that hasn't changed. 
And you've just got to look forward and say, what can I learn from this? And sometimes like a spiral staircase, sorry, where you slip one or two stairs and you go up four and you slip two and you go up three. Um, And you've just got to pragmatically make progress going forward and say, what did I learn from this? I think a lot of mortality in the test of life is what we learn from our mistakes and can we grow and learn and move forward. So I worry that um, queer people, when they mess up, they feel so much shame um, that it just leads to more messing up and separating themselves from God, the church, and causing them to feel bad about themselves. And then they even turn to numbing substances to sort of deal with the shame, like drugs and alcohol, um, pornography, just numbing stuff to escape the reality of their messing up. And it's this cycle. Um, so it's kind of an invitation to not get in that cycle and pragmatically realize that, okay, I'm holding my head high. I messed up, but it's sort of now, what now? And can I look forward? Guilt, guilt and shame are different listeners. And I've written an article in the unsign about repentance. I guess it's called the Leahone. You could Google Richard Osler repentance article, but, um, guilt to me is positive. Um, the prodigal son was felt guilty so he moved forward but he was full he self-determined his future when he thought he'd be a servant um but the savior that father who i represents the savior our heavenly father that ran to him put a ring on a finger on a robe that signifies when we come back we come back as sons we don't come back as second class citizens and so don't sort of decide right now because you messed up you're coming back as a second class latter-day saint or that your futures are forever changed. That's not how repentance works. Um, don't feel falsely that you're adding to the burden of the Savior. Um, our doctrine is that he has already paid the price for all of our sins. And I believe he actually enjoys it when we, are, when he's, when we repent, because he's taking advantage. We are taking advantage of his greatest gift. Now, that's in um, a chapter in my second book, Improving Latter-day Saint culture if you want to get more into repentance and sort of hope-filled repentance. So that's some thoughts about messing up. Now, if you're starting to same-sex date, which I don't invite you to do, but if you do feel that's something you want to do, um, my only advice is to to keep people um, in your life that that you can talk to about the reality that you're same-sex dating. Hopefully that's your parents. Um, or friends or siblings. Um, so they're aware that you're on that road. And I would generally encourage you to date people your own age. Um, and to do that, not out of a position of fear when you're very vulnerable and you're needing um, validation or connection, do that. Um, re- sort of speaking out of both sides of my mouth, because I'm not inviting you to do that, but pragmatically, if you feel that's your path, do that when you're very your best personal self and you're not vulnerable. Um, I've had a lot of people talk to me about dating older people and they're not interested generally in a long-term relationship. They take advantage of a vulnerable young person in an inappropriate way and that creates tremendous shame. Um, and they're embarrassed because of what's happened. Um, and if that's happened to you, I think you've got to say that was a learning experience. Um, I'm gonna, if I'm in a toxic relationship, I need to get out of that, and I need to talk to trusted people in my life to get out of that relationship, even if it's very embarrassing that I'm in that relationship. Toxic relationships are not good, and that could be with somebody your own age. I do worry that 
people that are gay have a little bit more likelihood of getting in toxic relationships or in a relationship where someone's taking advantage of them because they're vulnerable and they're looking for somebody to validate how they feel and can talk to them about the reality of their life. And so they're vulnerable. Um, so if that's you, you've got to, you've got to get out of those relationships. Um, but you've got to be in a position of strength if you do go down that path and be responsible. Follow church standards if you're going to same-sex date. The same standards for straight people. Um, so I hope that's okay. It's just kind of a complicated spot. I'd like to talk now a little bit about transgender Latter-day Saints. And in my book, Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, Chapter 8 is on this topic. And I felt impressed just to separate that chapter out of the rest of the book because this experience is very different. Sexual orientation obviously is about sexual orientation. Transgender is about gender identity. And the best way I can describe this is how it's been described to me is um, being carsick. And it's this terrible, nauseating, gut-wrenching feeling of the difference between your biological sex and how you feel about yourself. I'm cisgender. I am biologically male and feel male. I feel no car sickness, um, quote unquote. But somebody that feels gender dysphoria feels car sick and they want to do everything they can to get out of the car. Now, imagining explaining car sickness to people in the 1600s that had never been in a car. That's sort of what the challenge of transgender people to explain their experience to those of us that don't experience their experience. And so that leads to the core, the bottom of the iceberg here is long-term gender dysphoria. And so people want to deal with that. And there's kind of three things they do to transition. One is um, medical, which is hormones or um, top bottom surgery. One is social, which is the way someone dresses, the pronouns they use, and one is legal, um, changing markers on birth certificates. Now, some of that's okay with church teachings and some of that's not, and I'm not going to go through that in the podcast. You can go to the handbook. It's online, um, but some of that is bumps up against church teachings and some doesn't. And I support church teachings, and I just invite everybody to be aware of what the church is teaching. Um, I want to build some nuance here, and I don't want to do this and invalidate people that feel gender dysphoria or transgender, but I think there is some short-term gender dysphoria or feeling trans that's not really what's at the bottom of the iceberg. Um, That may occur a little bit more in our youth. There may be at the bottom of the iceberg a feeling of belonging, a feeling need to be accepted, a feeling of whatever that is at the bottom of the iceberg that's presenting itself in short-term feeling trans or um, gender dysphoria. Now, my advice is if you're a younger person is to go slow and, um, and get therapy to really figure out what's going on at the bottom of the iceberg and don't make any decisions about transitioning until you've and your therapist and your parents and and maybe your local church leaders or we're all agreeing this is long-term gender dysphoria and that's what's at the bottom of the iceberg so let's deal with that and so we're dealing with truly what's at the bottom of the iceberg and not something different now 
I don't like the idea of weaponizing stories. So there are stories of people that are detransitioned. So sending that story to somebody that's transitioning may not be helpful because their bottom of the iceberg experience may be different and the reality of their life may be different. Um, so I think we just have to honor everybody's path that's feeling gender dysphoria and believe them and acknowledge the reality of their experience, if we, even if we don't personally understand it. Um, but I just build some nuance there. The people that I've had on the podcast, and you can go to listenlearnandlove.org. Across the top, there's a toolbar called Podcasts. And then you go to a landing page where all our podcasts are categorized. And so, and there's like 15 categories. And um, one category is everything LGBTQ related. Another category is everything not LGBTQ related. But in the LGBTQ related, there is a section on transgender, non-binary, gender, queer. And there's a lot of stories there and they're different. But there has been a pretty consistent theme that this is long-term gender dysphoria. Um, one of the stories is an LDS bishop. He's been released, but he has felt long-term gender dysphoria. He's biologically male. He still presents himself as male. He's married to a woman. He uses male pronouns, but he's felt gender dysphoria for a long time. And with the help of the therapist, he takes estrogen. And that is just the ram in the thicket, to use Old Testament metaphor, to be able to help manage car sickness and keep him more emotionally healthy. And that is okay with church teachings, as pointed out by the website, in an appropriate way, at an appropriate age, with appropriate therapists, um, taking estrogen for a male and testosterone. I can't say that very well, that one for females. Testrogen, testosterone, you know how to say it, I don't. So, but this comes back to an overall principle of you've got to go slow. And society may say, okay, you're feeling gender dysphoria. You need to fully transition, medical, social, and legal. And my advice is to go slow. And it's, I think it's okay to hear other people's stories. You could listen to these stories on the podcast. There's other um, active LDS people that experience gender dysphoria, sharing their stories on other platforms. But I think you have to write your own story, and I think you have to write it when you're your personal best and when you're making these transition decisions based on personal revelation with your Heavenly Father, working with therapists, trusted adults in your life, and go slow. Now, if you're feeling suicidal, um, I think you need to get to a therapist also and get out of that really dark space. And some people do report that steps of transition helps their emotional health. And people like that have been on the podcast. So I just, I want to validate people have long-term gender dysphoria. This isn't a sign of the last days. This isn't Satan confusing his children. This is the reality of people. This is, um, this is the way science looks at this. I think in 40 or 50 years, we'll go back and wish we were kinder to trans people because we'll understand the science, but why they felt gender dysphoria. And we'll go back and say, I wish I understood what I know thou and could have supported you better and acknowledged the reality of how you're feeling. I think people have experienced gender dysphoria for a long time, but we're just starting to understand it. Just like we're doing a better job of understanding sexual orientation. 
And since we understand that this is how people are wired and we can't unwire them from their sexual orientation, it shifts responsibly back on us to support them and love them and help them. Um, and I think we're in the early stages of doing that for our trans friends. So that's my segment on trans. As part of that, we do have a website. Um, if you're an ally, a local leader, or if you're an active Latter-day Saint who is LGBTQ, we've put together a Facebook group that's called Ministering to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, because a lot of people do want to do things in their circle of influence and award or stake to better support, us, develop a sport group, teach a fifth Sunday. Um, there's a lot of different things, wonderful things being done at the local level. And this is a Facebook group where people are just sharing what they're doing. Um, and it's and some people are LGBTQ that are doing it within their stake, but others are parents or allies. So I'll link to that in the show notes in case you want to be connected with that group of people. Um, it's active Latter-day Saints, supportive of our leaders and doctrine that are saying, what can we better do to support um, families that have LGBTQ kids, congregations, and LGBTQ Latter-day Saints? So that concludes my segment. Um, of for supporting transgender Latter-day Saints. And I just hope and pray that's helpful for you. And the things I shared help bring us together as the same human family and honor the reality that people really do have long-term gender dysphoria. And that is the reality of their life. And we need to love, support, and help them. I wanted to conclude, unless other thoughts come to my mind, because we're kind of at the hour mark. Um, for families and leaders, just if you're listening and you're a lead local leader, a family member, a friend, and what do you do in this space? Um, I just act on the impressions that you feel. Um, every ally or every family member is going to do this a little different. If you want to be an ally, don't feel like you got to do it my way and write a book and start a podcast. It may just be you being kind to other people. I think one of the greatest gifts you can give to somebody is create a culture of belonging in our family, in our, in our church, where you're saying comments, and you can refer to church leader quotes, that just create this feeling of unity and diversity, that we value differences, um, and that Zion isn't sameness. Zion is bringing all our differences, having our hearts knit together. Um, I think of knit together as yarn, but I think of different textures, different colors, coming all together as one to lift the burdens of others. That's so much what the city of Enoch is for me, is that because they were unified, um, they were able to, there was no poor among them. So if I were going back, we have adult children now, but if I were starting out with younger kids and we don't have any LGBTQ kids, I would say things in our family culture kind about people that we usually don't talk kindly about. Um, people that are working to solve addictions, people that are in prison, people that are LGBTQ, people that have left our church, people that um, are different races, people that are un illegal in our country. Those are all of God's children that sh chose the same plan in the pre-earth life that we did. And if I, I don't think it makes my kids more likely to leave the church, um, but I think it telegraphs to our kids that. Um, parents are really safe and they're saying all these kind things about everybody. I feel safe opening up to them about the reality of my life as I age up. And one of the gifts we can have as parents is our kids feel safe enough to open up to us so we can walk with them, um, knowing the realities of their life. 
And um, a really tender experience about six months ago just came to mind of, I spoke at an event and about LGBTQ and I had a, a parents come up to me and they just said, we're, we're grateful. And I were very kind. Um, our 13 year old son is gay and we're grateful to be here. And I thought to myself, what I really thought to myself is what's going on in that family culture that that 13 year old son came out to their parents and that their parents are there trying to learn this space. And there's a story there. 13 year old kids don't come out very often. Um, but what a beautiful thing that those parents can walk with that kid. And that kid is not alone for all these years um, until he feels it's okay to come out. So I think a culture, if I were a local leader, um, whatever your responsibility is, I would just create a culture um, that is, you know, yes, we want everybody to be on the covenant path and be obedient, but we're also going to create a culture where um, you can talk about the realities of your life. And this is a safe place for you to do that. And you may have to be vulnerable as a leader to do that. Um, and you'll have to figure out how to do that. Um, but just some thoughts there. I think it's so important in our culture to create um, a real culture. So people that are suicidal, people that have mental illness, people that are LGBTQ, that's a different space. I don't want to compare that. But just people that are walking difficult roads feel safe opening up in our families and our friend groups and at church. And that we're doing things, if we're a leader, to communicate um, safety. Elder Gong's talk about the inn and making more room at the inn makes me comfortable around Elder Gong, for example, because I know he talks that way. Um, and um, I, I just think we can do that. Now, um, another maybe concluding thought is, you know, if you went back 10 years ago for me and, and sort of did word association, with me, if you said skiing, I'd say Park City because that's where we skied as a family in Utah. If I said sports teams, I'd say LA Dodgers because I'm a Dodger fan. And I'd say Vin Scully, who passed away, one of my announcing heroes. But if you said gay people 10 years ago, I would think of a different group on a different road that poses a threat to me and my family. And I should be very guarded. But if you but what's changed for me and what I invite you to consider if you need to do this, if you're an ally or a parent or a local leader, um, is think of them as our own people. Um, about 5%, according to Gallup, identify in the United States as LGBTQ. Um, if we took that percentage against 16 million Latter-day Saints worldwide, then over 700,000 of our own people identify as queer, not straight, or LGBTQ. And that would fill Lavelle Edwards Stadium multiple times of home games, of football teams, football games. So that's a shift that occurred to me. And I invite you to consider that because then the things you're thinking about at church and talking about at church are in the context that there could be closeted LGBTQ people sitting next to me. And they're listening to everything I say or we say. And we can talk about the last days without demonizing LGBTQ people. <laughs> In fact, um, we should do everything we can because our leaders have said kind things about LGBTQ people. Um, and we should too. So that's just an invitation to think of um, LGBTQ people as our own people. And maybe even one step further is think about the body of Christ. 
that Paul talks about in Corinthians 12, that all parts of the body of the Christ are worthy and needed. And I used to think as an LGBTQ ally that I was kind of the good Samaritan trying to rescue people, and perhaps a little bit of that has occurred. But listeners, and I've shared this before, what's really happened is they've rescued me. They've taught me things about the gospel of Jesus Christ, empathy, compassion, kindness, grace, that no one else has ever taught me. And I am better off because of the LGBTQ people in my life. Now, I don't want to infer that they exist to help straight people be better. Um, they, they exist, I believe, because they're equal members of the human family. We need each other to, to become the body of Christ and to become a Zion people. And I've said this before, Zion for me growing up was sameness. Everybody where I grew up was the same. Same skin color, same zip code, same high school, same sports interests. As far as I know, everybody's straight. Everybody's the same political party. That was okay. But a higher, holier way is unity and diversity and taking all these beautiful differences in the human family and being more comfortable with differences so we can accomplish more than we could in our sameness. And we can support people that are different than us, but we still are unified in wanting to come into Christ and bring others with us. So I hope that's helpful. I said a prayer before we started. Um, felt impressed just to do this podcast that hopefully helps you that are walking this road. Um, we need you. We need you in this world. We need your contributions to make this world a better place. Some of you are in or going to be in incredible careers focused on helping other people. We need you in our church. Um, I recognize that may be difficult given the paths that you feel you're choosing, but I invite you to stay close to your heavenly parents, your Savior. Um, if you do feel impressed to separate yourself from the church, take all the good that the church has taught you and take it with you and do your very best to live all the commandments you can and have a relationship with God. And um, yeah, it's, this is like a talk. So I'm. I don't know if it's appropriate to close in the name of Jesus Christ, but that's the thought that comes to my head is that I hope this has been consistent with what our church has said and what Christ would want you to feel. Um, so act on any impressions that you felt listening to this podcast um, to make your way forward. Write them down, um, two or three. Share this podcast. You think it would be helpful for others. And um, God loves you. You're going to be okay. I think your best days are ahead of you. And even if you're in a really tough spot, closeted, um, alone, I think you're going to be okay. And I think you'll look back at this difficult time you're in um, and have, say to yourself, I'm glad I got through that. I needed to go through that. I needed to work through these stages. It took some time. There were some setbacks. But I'm really glad where I am now. Um, I wouldn't want to go through that again. But where I am now allows me to move forward in my life and help other people, which will give you great satisfaction and joy. And this is Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. And um, I will link to um, my book. Um, I'll link to Deseret Book, Amazon, and also link to the link on my website where you can download um, free chapters if you just want to skim specific chapters. Just trying to scale content here. Everything's free. And you can't donate to any of my efforts. Thank you for listening and thank you for support. Please rate this podcast, rate my books. That's really the only thing you can do to help me. 
is just go on iTunes or Desert Book or Amazon and leave a review. Thank you, listeners. Goodbye.